Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Church, we're here today uh, as a community whose hearts have found liberty through the blood of Christ shed at Calvary, applied to us by way of the Holy Spirit. All right, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 it is a message. I, I want to bring you a message that I've titled, The Spirit-Created Community. The Spirit-Created Community. Last week, well actually two weeks ago when we were in Acts 2, we saw 3,000 people hear the gospel proclaimed. They're cut to the heart. They're convicted and then they're converted and they're baptized. They receive the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to see in this passage today is what it looks like when the Holy Spirit saves a bunch of people and puts them in a local church. This is the first local church. It's the first local church of Jerusalem. And so we're going to dive in together and we're going to say, well, what does it look like when God saves a people for himself through the blood of Jesus applied to their lives, making them new, renewing them. So would you step with me into the Word of God, beginning in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We'll go down through verse 47. Let's hear the Word of God. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved you pray with me? God, help us to go all in for the King who went all in for us. God, I pray that you would visit this church family with the, the sort of unity and togetherness that characterize these first believers. Holy Spirit of God, you're, you're right here in this room. You're no less powerful than you were 2,000 years ago. God, we long for your presence. We long for the sort of community that we see highlighted in this passage. And God, I pray that whatever's in us that would stand between us and, and what you have for us as your people, God, that you would... Begin that process even the day of removing those things from our lives and, and building into our lives that which we need to really reflect the, the love of God to a lost and dying world as a people of God on mission together for the glory and fame of our King. God, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In, Luke's, in, in Acts 2, Dr. Luke, the author, is highlighting for us what Peterson calls the historic fulfillment of God's covenant purposes to Israel 
by the renewal of his people in Jerusalem. Israelites have been scattered under every nation under heaven and suddenly they're gathered in Jerusalem and the Spirit comes upon them in fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel chapter 2. And so we're going to see some things in this text that we can't directly apply to our lives today. For example, there's no temple standing where there's three dedicated hours of prayer daily, and we can't just go hop on down to the local temple and have a a prayer time together at the local temple. And so we've got to understand that as we dive into this passage, there's not always a one-to-one correspondence between what was done in Acts 2 and, and how it fleshes its way out in our life today. And yet, there is much here that we can glean and learn from. So we're in this period of transition from God reconstituting his people in Jerusalem and the establishment of regularly ordered local churches as described in the pastoral epistles. And yet, there's much in this passage, much in Acts, that I believe still applies greatly to the local church of God today. My my prayer for us this morning is that the same Spirit who created a transformational togetherness among these first believers would likewise create a transformational togetherness in this family of God. My, my prayer is that we would become, in a, in a good way, a contagious community for our King. You say, well, it's not good to be contagious. Well, I'm not talking about COVID contagious. I'm talking about just being the people of God and people like a moth drawn to a flame want to want to get in on being a part of that people of God. You'll notice what's lacking in this passage. They didn't have any programs. Right? They were just people who knew a king together. They didn't create a bunch of programs. They didn't have a bunch of bulletins. They were just together with Jesus. And look what God does through it. We, we see some hallmarks of what it's like to be a part of God's family, God's community in this passage. We see that He doesn't save anyone to be an island unto themselves, but He saves everyone to be vested, to be all in for a a family that has a distinctive way of life. Any of you members of the the Hokie Nation this morning? Yeah, it's, it's, it's rough times right now. But if you're a member of the Hokie Nation, you know how to, how to make a gobbler with your hands, right? You know when to pull your keys out of your pocket on third down, it's a key play. There's distinctive things that you just know to do as a part of the family. Wahoo fans wear suits to football games and tell Hokies about all the national championships they have. Perhaps your family has some great traditions. A favorite vacation destination, a recipe passed down from a great-great-grandmother. Whatever it is that that marks off your family, you you know what I'm getting at. There's certain characteristics that define a family or that define a community. And what we find in this passage is, is some characteristics that define the Spirit-created community of the King. In this passage, you're going to be like, man, how did he preach so long on that passage? This passage is like, a, is like a suitcase that my wife packs to go on vacation. It looks small. But then you start to open, you're like, how did she get all that stuff in there? I mean, Luke packs a ton of great content in this little paragraph. So 
Hang with me this morning, all right? The first thing I want you to see is the Spirit-created community of King Jesus is devoted to the apostles' teaching and to one another. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching and to one another. We have before us a picture of what happens when the Spirit saves and changes the people. They devote themselves to some community fundamentals. The first thing they devote themselves to is to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship And secondly, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This word devoted means to be steadfastly attentive to something. It's not to touch it once and then ignore it for a month or two months or three months. It's to to be all in on something. To give unremitted care to a thing. To persevere in something and not give up on it. And there's two big categories that they're devoted to. You say, well, I see four things there, not two things, Pastor. And you're right, but they hang together as categories. The the grammar in the Greek tells us that the apostles' teaching and the fellowship kind of hang together as a unit. And the breaking of bread and the prayers hangs together as a a second unit. The, The first thing we'll consider is the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Here's what Luke wants us to know about the early church. The early church had a strong culture of wanting to know Christ based on what the apostles taught. They weren't looking for a line to tweet out from the sermon. They were looking for a Savior to live for. They wanted to know King Jesus. When Jesus truly changes your heart, He gives you a new desire to learn Him and to grow in Him. We see throughout the book of Acts, chapter 11, chapter 18, chapter 19, chapter 20, chapter 28, that it is the teaching of the apostles that stands at the center of the life of the church. And why is this important? It's important because it's not just the teaching of Jesus that stands at the heart of church life. It's the teaching of the apostles about Jesus. So they didn't just teach Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, they didn't just go around quoting what Jesus had said. They didn't, say, they didn't reduce the gospel to just be nice, just be as good as you can be. Instead, they said the only way for us to be saved is to know who Jesus is in light of the promises of the Old Testament. And so the apostles interpret Jesus' life and death and resurrection and his ascension and his saving of a church to be on mission for him to the ends of the earth. They tell the church these things and the church is committed to knowing their king and the significance of his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his commission that we now obey, taking King Jesus to the ends of the earth. You can't stop at the Gospels. you got to understand who Jesus is in light of how the apostles explained him to be. Jesus, remember in chapter 1, says, i got to go to the Father and I've got more work to do. Part of the work that he does is he completes the revelation of who he is through the apostolic preaching of Jesus. Does that make sense? You can't stop at the Old Testament. You can't stop at the Gospels. And there's a lot of churches in America, they stop at the Gospels. They pick out some phrases from the Sermon on the Mount that they like. Blessed are the poor in spirit. See, let's just take care of the poor and remedy poverty and we'll be okay. No. You've got to be changed in your spirit because you're poor in spirit. You've got to be rescued by the blood of the Lamb. You can't be good enough to get into the kingdom. You need the King to change your heart. I'm just getting started. 
They want to know Jesus. And they got to know Jesus not by going out on a mountain and looking at nature, but by looking into the Word of God. They don't have a bunch of topical studies on living your best life now. They just want to know Jesus. And they know that if they know Jesus and they're united with Jesus, that Jesus will change their marriage. That Jesus will change their life. That Jesus will motivate them to pray. That Jesus will motivate them to be generous. They don't go reduce life to a bunch of topics and ignore Jesus. you got to start with Jesus, and then he changes and impacts the topics in your life. Now that the apostles' teaching is recorded and it's, it's complete, we too need to be characterized as a community that is devoted to the apostles' teaching about Jesus. And I want you to hear me well this morning, church. A fundamental distinctive of a spirit-indwelled church is an unrelenting passion for knowing the Christ of the Bible by learning the Bible. There's nothing more life-giving than knowing Jesus. And notice what happens. By knowing Jesus, through the apostles' teaching, they had fellowship. The apostles' teaching is the basis of their fellowship. Fellowship is the word in Greek, koinonia. It's a commercial term originally used to describe business partnerships in a in a spiritual sense hawk says this fellowship is to share with someone in something that is above and beyond the relationship itself i I love that definition it's to share in jesus he's above us he's beyond us he's greater than us these believers saw themselves as sharers in christ as sharers in the spirit as sharers in a community that was the greatest community that the world had ever or would ever know the community of king jesus became their lifeline it wasn't one out of many communities that they were part of The church was their community. It was their identity. It wasn't, I'm a Northside fan, I'm a Hokie fan, and I have a little bit of church in my life, and I also have this over here, and I also am a hunter, and I'm a golfer, and I've got 17 different communities of which I'm a part, and I'll fit church in when I can. That's not what the church was. The church was what they were. I'm the church. When the doors are open, I'm there. By the way, they didn't have a building. They just had a bunch of houses and a temple to go to to listen to the apostles' teaching. The church was all that they were. I was lost, now I'm saved. I was saved by a king. I want to be with a bunch of people who are with my king together. Fellowship implies consistency. These were not a bunch of church hoppers. Even if they could have been, they wouldn't have been. Because they were one community all in for the same Savior. You'll not find a Christian in the New Testament who picks a church based on their preferences. They didn't have that option. There's one church in the city. There's a church in Jerusalem. There's a church in Antioch. There's a church at Ephesus. You only get one choice. The pastor made you mad. I didn't like the music this morning. We sang all hymns this morning. Why did we do that? I, I wanted some new stuff this morning. I'm going to go find another church. Good luck with that. There's only one in the city. Man, I tell you, part of me wishes we'd get back to that. That that we would really check our preferences at the door and we would realize God made us a family in Jesus. Period. 
full stop. He gave us leaders to follow and to submit to and obey. Period. Full stop. If they're living for Jesus, on mission for Jesus, if they're loving the flock and teaching the word, listen and obey and follow. Be united in Jesus' name because Jesus rescued my soul. Sometimes I ask myself, who do we think we are? Although these believers were all ethnically Jewish, with the exception of some proselytes, some Jewish converts, they were mostly ethnic Jews, but they all had different languages, they had different backgrounds, and Jesus brings them together. In verse 46, we discover that they were learning and praying together in the temple complex. Do you see that word together? Their their fervent commitment to knowing more of Jesus fueled their daily fellowship in the Christian life. Being saved by Jesus, listen to this church, being saved by Jesus doesn't just change your eternal destination, it changes your current situation. It gives you a family to love right now. That's what we see in the next pair of activities. To the breaking of bread and the prayers. Breaking of bread in verse 42 and 46 simply means that they ate together. There there are some who say, well, that's the Lord's Supper. They were having the Lord's Supper at everybody's house. That's, That's not what that's talking about. It's not until the second century that the phrase breaking of bread is used to refer to the Lord's Supper. It just means they broke bread in the Hebrew tradition and they had a meal together. They sat down with one another and had meals together. Those who had come to feast on Jesus by faith were now feasting in one another's homes before or after one of these three times of prayer at the temple. So in verse 46, when when Luke says, excuse me, verse 42, when Luke says they're devoted to the prayers, he likely means these designated times of prayer at the temple which they were attending. Do you see it in verse 46? Daily, day by day. So this spirit-filled community of Jesus' followers, what were they doing? They were together listening to the apostles' teaching, and they were eating bread, they were enjoying fellowship in homes together, and they were attending to prayers with regularity. They leaned into the Word and one another like their lives depended on it. Church, I want to ask you, what, what might God do if we would devote ourselves to knowing Christ and being with Him together in these ways. If we would learn and devote ourselves to be learners of Jesus and lovers of Him and one another, I suspect that we might see something like what happens in verse 43. Look at verse 43. The fear of God comes upon all. In verse 43, the word awe is the Greek word fear, phobos. Fear is the appropriate response to the unstoppable, unmistakable work of a holy God in our midst. When God works, when He can be seen, when He shows up. I think about Moses in the burning bush that was not consumed. Woe is me. I, I, am, I am standing on holy ground. When, when God's work can be seen, people become aware of their smallness. They become aware of their limitations. They become aware of their neediness, of their utter dependency upon someone infinitely greater than themselves, of the one who stands above and before and outside of them, which is why Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
And notice that the fear didn't just come and go, it just came and remained. That's the the meaning of the word, that fear came. Bruce says this, the fear was an enduring sense of awe, inspired by the consciousness that God was at work in their midst. Every soul. You say, does that mean just all the believers? No, it's, it's likely a reference to, to people throughout the city. You say, well, literally every soul? Well, probably not. This is probably an example of a biblical use of hyperbole. And we know that because the religious leaders certainly aren't fearful of God. In fact, they're going to end up opposing the work of God. God worked through the apostles and fear came not just to the believers, but on a massive scale throughout the city. The idea here is that the miraculous wonders and sign that Jesus worked through the apostles was leading people to notice Jesus just like Jesus' signs and wonders had done. It was just a few months before Jesus was working signs and wonders. And now they thought they killed him. But he is reigning in heaven and now all of a sudden these ragamuffin fishermen from Galilee are working miracles. And it's not their power, it's the power of God working through them, and people are like, whoa, what is going on? They said Joel is going to be fulfilled, that signs and wonders are going to happen through the people of God, and that's happening, which must mean that the day of the Lord is coming. It must mean that King Jesus really is king, which means we better pay attention. You say, well, I don't... I don't see those signs and wonders happening very often today, and and that's right. The signs and wonders happened through the apostles. We'll see in in a couple of places, there will be some apostolic delegates who will also perform signs and wonders, but by the time we get to the pastoral epistles, you won't see signs and wonders mentioned. So what do we make of signs and wonders? Here's what we make of signs and wonders. The signs and wonders authenticated the message and the messenger. And once the message and the messenger were authenticated, once it was demonstrated that the gospel is real and that Jesus has come, the signs and wonders are removed and faith in the Savior remains. Because Jesus doesn't want a bunch of sign seekers. He wants a bunch of people who trust in Him as Savior and King. You say, well, what signs do we have? Here's, you want to know what the sign is that remains? In every place where the gospel is proclaimed today, the sign that remains is the community of King Jesus. You're the sign. The Spirit of God working in your heart to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The Spirit of God working in your heart to produce endurance and perseverance when everything doesn't go your way. The church is the sign. The Spirit of God is working just as much today as He did in Acts 2, and He's working in hearts who lay down preferences to take up their cross and magnify King Jesus. The Spirit is alive and well, and He's working, and I pray by God's grace He would work among us. I trust, church, that as we lean into God's Word, as we align our lives with Jesus and His mission, that the fear of God won't just come upon people far off and in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, but the fear of God will come upon many in the Roanoke Valley. 
That many in Roanoke, as we live like Jesus is called to live, will say they're different, they're distinctive, there's something unusual about them, and we'll have a chance to point them to Christ, and they'll suddenly realize they are very small compared to an infinite holy God who left heaven, walked in time and space, went to a cross to rescue their wicked soul and make them a part of this very same community. Jesus says this in John 13, 35, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. They won't just know that you're groupies. They won't just know that you hang out together. They won't even just know that you're disciples of something. They'll know that you are what? My disciples. When you live like this, when we lean in together and live like this, people have to reckon with Jesus Christ the King. God help us. God help us to live like this. Thirdly, the Spirit-created community generously met the needs of the family as they arose. As I look in this room and think about the folks in the gym, there's a lot of families. And I know many of you have, have faced challenges in your family. Brothers and sisters, moms and grandmas who faced various situations, and I've seen you over the past almost six years serving Christ as your pastor. I've seen many of you endeavor to move heaven and earth to help your son or your daughter. There's nothing you wouldn't do to help your family. And what we see in verse 44 and 45 is that same intentionality now moves into the family of God. Luke describes the community in verse 44 as those who all believed, all who believed. And the reason he does this is because believing, as Kellum writes, is the defining aspect of the Christian. You say, why is it important to note that they believed something and then that they were generous with one another? Here's why. If you don't believe, you have no motivation to be generous. Why support the family if you don't believe that God made you a family? Why give away earthly resources if you don't believe God is king and he's bringing you into a kingdom that's forever? Like, you're going to see a lot of these people forever. Like, we're going to be family forever, so I may as well give you what I got now because we're going to be together forever anyway. So what does Luke say? All who believed were super generous. All who believed and figured, we're going to be together forever ever anyway, may as well be together right now. They were together, and they had everything in common. The word together in verse 44 means they were unified in spirit. They were of one accord. Their oneness in Christ through the Spirit is demonstrated by an eagerness to meet any and all needs as they arise in the community. As those who've been rescued by Jesus, and those, as those who are confident of His return, they will do whatever necessary to reflect what will be in the future right now within their community. As those who've received everything through Jesus, they will gladly give whatever is needed to the family that He's made them a part of. Don't miss this, church. To be saved into a family, to be saved by Jesus is to be saved into a family. It's to love that family more tenaciously and deliberately and intentionally and generously than anything else on earth earth. That's what a Christian does. A Christian loves their local church. Did you know that? A Christian loves their local church. 
how together was this church? They had all things in common. Now, this doesn't mean they sold everything that they had and put it into one pot and became Christian communists. This is important. There are people who abuse this text and try to support communism from it. That's not at all what's going on. The government didn't make them sell their possessions. The Holy Spirit of God led them to sell their possessions. And they didn't sell them all at once. They sold them as someone had need. Our goal, church, is not to create Christian communism on planet earth. Our goal is to be the people of God with the people of God. And as we are the people of God with the people of God, the world will take notice. This is the opposite of communism. They retained their property. They retained their houses. They ate in their homes. But when a need arose, whatever it was within the family, what did they do? They sold and they distributed. They sold property and belongings. You say, well, what's property and what's belongings? Property, think real estate. Hey, Joe, you got that piece of land over there. Tom said he wanted to buy it from you, and Sally's got a need. So be it. I'm going to sell it. Belongings. Any of you crafty? Craft show people? Yard sale people? That's belongings. You go in your house right now, and there's, there's some stuff, right, that you could probably offload on Facebook Marketplace. They were Facebook Marketplacing. Jane's got a need. Oh, I can put my old Air Jordans on Facebook. Somebody will, somebody will take them. Their common life in Jesus led them to see all that they possessed as gifts from God to be used to upbuild His church. They're doing what Jesus commanded in Luke chapter 12. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Listen, sell your possessions and give to the needy. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. As those who inherit the kingdom, we can freely divest ourselves of worldly treasures for the sake of our kingdom family. And the reality is at North Roanoke and in most local churches in North America, the way that we fund our shared life in Jesus is how? Through the church budget. Now, only Jesus could do this, right? I didn't know I was going to be preaching this and that we were going to have the budget meeting tonight, but we have a budget meeting tonight at 5.30 right here in this sanctuary, a meeting to consider the proposed budget for 2022. Through our budget, we support more than 3,500 missionaries serving worldwide. We keep the lights on and the heat running, praise God. We pay off delinquent student lunch accounts in Roanoke, county. We fix meals for teachers and shut-ins. We host camps for kids and youth. We pay a staff that is committed to leading us in discipleship. And here's what I want you to know about our budget, about our commonly shared, funded life together. Here's what I want you to know. If we lean into the gospel like these first believers did, our budget is nowhere near what it should be. Our budget is not even close to what it should be. If, if your heart beats for King Jesus, you will generously support your local church. Did you know from the Gospels forward, you won't see the word tithe mentioned anymore except in Hebrews when they're describing the tithes of the Old Testament? Why is that? Why does, why does tithing roll off the scene in the New Testament because Jesus shows up and what does he say? 
He says the sacrifices and the obedience that flow from a heart that's been changed by the gospel will be greater than those that come from trying to keep the law. Did y'all catch that? And what does the law say? The law says we're robbing God unless we bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Y'all know what a full tithe is? Everything you got times 10%. Well, pastor, how do I figure that? Anybody got a W-2? 990? You just stack all those bad boys together and you add up gross wages on the top and then you drop a zero off. That's a, that's a full tithe. And here's what Jesus says. Those who operate under the gospel will do better than that. I'm telling you, if we respond as this first church responded, our budget is far smaller than it should be. If we have the same spirit indwelling us who indwelt these believers, meeting the budget's not going to be a problem. But here's the problem. Did you know that nearly 50% of evangelical Christians contribute nothing to their local church in a year's time? Did you know that the average that evangelical Christians contribute to their local church in a year's time is less than 2.4% of their income? Did you know that the majority of Christian families today spend more on dog, dog food and veterinary bills than on their local church in a year's time? You say, I, Pastor, I wish you'd just be quiet and move on. I know you do. I'm burdened. Jesus says where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. And I don't know what any one of you gives. I don't look at the books. But here's what I know. If we love Jesus, if we love one another, the Spirit's going to make us a generous people. We can't keep loving Fluffy more than we love our faithful King. We just can't. Do we believe that there's a place where moth and rust do not destroy? Do we believe that Jesus is like a treasure hidden in a field and that whatever it takes to have Jesus is worth it? church nobody preached a sermon on generosity the spirit descended he changed their lives and what did they do they just gave you say well that sounds awful it doesn't sound awful it sounds amazing look at look at the community in verse 46 and 47 the end of 46 and 47 were they was it drudgery were they checking off a box no look at this the spirit created community of the king is characterized by extreme joy simplicity and praise as these believers shared food and learned the needs in one another's lives and gave and sold accordingly as they shared their lives together and opened up their homes and prepared meals it wasn't a source of stress it was a source of joy do you see that in verse 46 it says they received their food with glad hearts the word glad means extreme joy but for some of us, the idea of opening up our home is a bit terrifying. 
I mean, I got to be honest, the Palmer house stays in a perpetual mess. We've got two kids and a dog, and we've got leaves outside, and I mulch them, and after we vacuum, 30 seconds later, it's a wreck all over again, and I wonder, if I invite them over, what would they think of me? What would they think of my house? What would they think of our food? You ready for this? Doesn't matter. It didn't matter to them. They received their food with glad and get this generous hearts. Do you know what that word generous means? It means simple. They received their food with simplicity. They didn't bake that casserole to post it on Instagram and have everybody like it. They just wanted to love one another. It wasn't a competition. Nobody went home disappointed because no one complimented their casserole. Are you ready for this, dear Baptist? The casseroles weren't the point. The point was God had saved them together to be a family. They were together with great joy and simpleness of heart because of Jesus who gave them their all. The need to impress was removed by an infinitely more impressive Savior. The, new, the Spirit gave them new hearts that could lay down pretending to be somebody. They could lay down the show and simply enjoy being together. And there are so many people in our church family that need to get this, including your pastor. Your bathroom doesn't have to be perfect to invite me over. Your food doesn't have to be the best to invite me over. And, and likewise, us just come on over. Let's sit down, let's share a meal, let's pray together, let's be together. Get to know one another, not just in your 3D group, but during the week. Spend some time together and make a casserole and burn it in Jesus' name. Who cares? Like, we have Jesus. And one day we're going to be together and, and nobody's going to make a bad meal. There's not going to be leaves on the ground all around in our way. But for now, we have Jesus on the inside. So we love and we bless and we serve and we get together and we pray together. And of course, they did more than eat together and pray together. They praised God. They didn't magnify themselves. They magnified God who brought them together. I love what Johnson says about this whole passage. He says, the, the gift of the Spirit brought about a community which realized the highest aspirations of human longing. It brought about unity, peace, joy, and the praise of God. What does the world need right now? What is the sign that they need more than anything? They need a church being the church characterized by unity peace, joy, and the praise of God. And you watch what God will do in this valley if North Roanoke Baptist Church applies ourselves with intentionality to this text. God will change the valley through one church that embodies this text. Y'all believe that? Number five. The Spirit works through the community of the King to bring others to the King. The Spirit worked through the transformed togetherness of this new community to, to make them contagious. Their, their togetherness as they learned the apostles' teaching and fellowshiped it, 
as they ate and prayed, as they were sacrificially generous towards one another. Can you believe he sold his field for that lady? What did he do that for? Nobody does that. He was going to put another house, a second house on that land. The whole city comes alive and awake to the fact that God's favor rests on this people. And as they see that God is favoring them, they gain favor with the people. Now, it doesn't mean every single person in Jerusalem, as I pointed out, the religious authorities aren't going to be happy about this movement of the king. But many people take notice. They don't have a building. They don't have community outreach events. And yet God gave them favor with all the people. How in the world did they have favor with all the people without a building, without a budget, without stuff? They had favor by being God's people. What is the first thing that I tell you at North Roanoke we want to do? We want to be Christ's church. Why? Because we can schedule, we can have a calendar, we can have an app, we can have a website, we can have a live stream, we can have a, a gymnasium, we can have great programs. And all go in separate directions as soon as we connect here for a second. But if we will not be Christ's church together, it's not going to make a hill of beans a difference in our valley. But as they eat together in their homes, as they go to prayers and teaching together, people begin to take notice and God gives them opportunities to share the gospel and the Lord begins to save people. In fact, He adds to their number or puts them together in the family day by day. In other words, these Spirit-filled followers live distinctive lives together that attracted their city's attention in which God used to bring others into the family. People saw their genuine joy. They saw their simplicity of, their, of heart and they were compelled by it. And I believe, North Roanoke, that He can do the same in us. As we purposefully apply ourselves to this text and resolve to be learners of Jesus and lovers of one another and in the way of application, you say, well, well, pastor, what's your plan? How are we going to get there? I don't know. I don't know. I wish I could tell you that I have the answer in our overscheduled, hyper-individualized culture. But I don't. But here's what I do know. Of the 17 communities that we're living in, the community of the king needs to rank first. I know this is going to take sacrifice of other things in our life for the family of God to be the main thing. I know that we will have to climb out of our social media driven lives and actually start to share our lives with one another rather than sharing posts and likes. The world is more connected than it has ever been and it is also more lonely than ever. And the answer is Jesus. And the way they will see our King is through a Spirit-created community that learns and loves together. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, thank you for what you've shown us from Acts 2. Thank you that the Spirit has come that your word has been authenticated, 
and that we haven't. God, thank you that in knowing the word, we can know Christ more. And God, as we know Christ more, we know that one of the main things that's going to do is make us want to love better, love more, and be together glorifying and praising and praying to our King, longing for you to add more to our number. God, we don't want more in our family for the sake of numbers. We want more in our family for the sake of the glory of our King. God, I pray you'd continue to do your work in this place. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.